Hello and welcome to another episode of the DCVC where I, your host Akash Pat, interview angel investors and venture capitalists investing across all verticals and check sizes in India. If you haven't heard the previous episodes, I'd urge you to listen to them as well. You can learn about the evolution of family offices to traditional VC funds and how enterprise-only funds make decisions. There are a lot of good and fascinating insights on investing in there. Well, today's guest is Dave Bajaj. Dave is the venture partner at Kaladi Capital, a VC fund that's backed startups that have gone on to become household names in India, such as Snapdeal, CureFit, Urban Ladder, Dream11, among many others. Dave started his career in investment banking in the US with Bank of America and then Citibank before going on to found his own startup, Mitra, one of India's largest hardware tech companies in the agriculture industry. He successfully raised three rounds of venture capital before its acquisition by Mahindra and Mahindra. Dave is a VC who's been through the journey as an entrepreneur, and I'm really excited to speak to him. So without further ado, here's Dave. So Dave, great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for your time. Really excited about our chat. So welcome. How's it going? Thanks for having me, Akash. Uh, we've been meaning to do this for for some time, so I'm glad we we've gotten to it. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's let's begin. Share with us a little bit about how you ended up in venture capital and in a way completing the full circle after beginning your career in investment banking. You know, I, I, you know, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know how I've, uh, uh, you know, um, sort of, it's, I've, I've sort of gone, um, I've done what's logical and that's, that's, and that's when logical in my mind and that's why I've ended up here. So just to explain that, you know, I um, uh, was a banker in the U.S., uh, you know, private equity guy in the U.S. And then, as you know, and then went to business school, came up with a disruptive idea to uh, go do something of impact in agriculture technology in India, uh, moved back, started with software, uh, you know, raised some venture capital, pivoted into hardware, um, you know, built that business over five years, realized that the depth of the market was not there to support sizable companies to get B, uh, series B investments at that time in 2015 in India, and then made the business profitable and got into a strategic exit. So, um, you know, it's been a, it's a, uh, and then I decided in 2018 that, you know, since I've gone through this arduous journey of, uh, um, uh, you know, building a business, uh, uh, circumventing the challenges and then getting into a, uh, into a strategic exit, I could share some of those learnings with, with, with new, with, with today's entrepreneurs and, um, and, you know, feed off of their energy. And that's why I've ended up in venture capital over the last year and a half. So, uh, really, I mean, you you know, if you asked me after graduating from college, you know, about uh, 20 years ago, if this would have been the game plan, I would have said no. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a wonderful journey and a wonderful story so far. They say the best VCs are those who've been through the entrepreneurial journey themselves and understand the pain uh, it takes to build a startup because it's not easy to do that, right? No, definitely not. Definitely the most, the hardest thing that I've done in my life. And I guess... Every VC uh, having that empathy factor is really something that founders also look for. Uh, that's that's something they can relate to. So it says on the Kalari website, and I quote: 
we focus on long-term partnerships with entrepreneurs to help unlock large value. So what are some of the insights into building and maintaining long-term relationships with founders within the portfolio that you can share with us? Yeah, so I mean, the best example of that is um, the fact that we supported a gentleman by the name of Mukesh Bansal, right? Um, mm -hmm. Or invested in his company uh, in uh, Fund One, uh, which ended up uh, becoming Mintra, uh, which is the largest uh, fashion commerce, e-commerce platform in India, which ended up, uh, which was sold to Flipkart and right. uh, generated a lot of the value that Flipkart um, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, that Flipkart uh, derived from Walmart, uh, a lot of that was fashion. And, uh, and because Mukesh is such a fantastic entrepreneur, him and his team and his co-founders, um, you know, we, we backed the team again uh, when they decided, when Mukesh decided to do um, 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 a cure fit, uh, which is in your space, you know, in the health and fitness space. It is a um, online and offline uh, health and fitness platform that uh, not only disrupts the way gyms uh, are are giving classes, um, but also has a digital solution for today's uh, um, uh, you know um, uh, health conscious, fitness conscious um, uh, market. Um, and it's it's a global strategy they've launched in India and they plan to be in a lot of other locations. So. Look, that is a classic example of a relationship that started in, you know, that is, uh, you know, that has lasted a couple of decades, right? So, right. Uh, or at least a decade. And, um, you know, that's where I think the, um, you know, VCs and especially Kalari has um, definitely benefited from, you know, goodwill generated within the ecosystem and, and uh, is lucky to have some entrepreneurs who are repeat entrepreneurs with, you know, high capability. Well, that's a very interesting insight. And correct me if I'm wrong there, but Kalari has, uh, not including K-Start here, but usually typ typically invest in companies at the Series A and beyond. Um, so what advice would you give CEOs when they're scaling their businesses? Now, we spoke about uh, Mintra, which was then able to successfully get acquired by Flipkart. And you see CureFed going through that wonderful journey of scaling their business. So having seen that through the relationships that you were able to, or Kalari has been able to provide the startups, what are some of your insights on CEO to CEOs to scale their businesses? I think my 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 headline always to um, founders is you know think big, but please be real. Mm -hmm. And and that is for me you know you know in in a sentence it kind of summarizes uh, this sort of I say uh, cautious optimism with which. Uh, founders should move ahead. They definitely need to be optimistic. Um, they need to have a vision for how they see the world and how they see their product, their service, their technology impacting the world. But mm -hmm. they need to be reasonable in the way they want to think about scaling that particular business. You cannot run before you learn how to walk. So the classic example of that is, you know, you go out there, you pitch to investors, listen, I'm going to be an XYZ size business. Um, after I take your money um, and I think the idea should be listen my vision is to be XYZ but in the next 12 months I can uh, recruit these many people I can get into this kind of geographic expansion um, this is what my go-to-market strategy is going to be um, you know uh, this is how my product will scale um, so that realistic angle has to be uh, has to be there it has to be a very aggressive vision 
but it should be thought through step by step, milestone by milestone, quarter by quarter, month by month, uh, to uh, eventually to say, you know, this is my business plan. So, you know, this is why VCs ask for a business plan because it's not because that business plan is going to be accurate. It's because you want to see how rational and realistic the entrepreneur is and how much does he actually know about his industry when he put, when he represents that business plan. That's a very interesting stage. So how would you define growth at the Series A stage for companies, say, in the B2B space or the B2C space? Look, I think the days for, uh, you know, VCs tend to measure businesses of various metrics. I think in the last few years, uh, GMV or in the case of, let's say, commerce businesses, um, social commerce or e-commerce and then uh, GTV in the case of fintech businesses, gross transaction value was quite popular to see, or you know, just simply, uh, you know, uh, Mao's, Dow's, you know, monthly average users, daily mm-hmm. average users. Mm-hmm. Those statistics are very important to track. But I think uh, we are now entering, and I've been saying this for some time, we're entering, um, you know, the era where we will go back to some fundamental statistics by which we will be tracking businesses. And I think in B2C businesses, it will still be your net revenue, mm-hmm. uh, which is basically your revenue after giving discounts or cashbacks to your customers, not your GMV, right? And then, uh, or GTV. Um, and uh, beyond that, it will be your, um, uh, you know, um, cost of goods sold uh, per unit. Um, it will be your customer acquisition cost which will then eventually give you, you know, and your ARPU, which will eventually give you a customer uh, lifetime value or average uh, 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 annual lifetime value. And then you can see, you know, the length of the relationship with the customer. So I think, you know, revenue, gross margin, um, EBITDA eventually are going to become important uh, or they have always been important, but we need to recognize, re-recognize their importance now. And then the unit economics. So, uh, and then obviously, uh, in the case of B2B businesses, to answer your question, you know, ARR, average recurring revenue uh, 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 or annual recurring revenue is important to um, uh, um, uh, to look at, um, you know, so um, because, you know, that tells you the potential of the business um, uh, for, let's say, a SaaS company. And, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, and it has to be really recurring revenue, not one-time revenue. You know, right. the entrepreneurs make the mistake of saying, hey, I had a hot month, so my ARR is XYZ, but was that recurring revenue? Was that licensing revenue? Or was that SaaS revenue? Um, is that customer, you know, going to stay? Is that, you know, ticket size going to increase? From this point on, people need to, again, like I said, be real um, when they talk about ARR. Dave, I'm very glad you brought up the topic of unit economics. VCs both in India and the US are extremely guilty of overlooking it sometimes in the larger context of scaling. You know, startups today are valued too high, they stay private for far too long and have soaring burn rates. Um, they're struggling more than ever to explain how their unit economics will ever make sense. Essentially, they're losing money on an ongoing basis with no sign of ever turning a profit. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on profitability and sustainability within the venture capital market, especially in this economy. 
you've summarized the problem really well, Akash, right? So people want to scale. Responsible scaling is important. You can't just enter a new city and say, hey, I'm in this city and this is my revenue now, but what is your NPS score in that city versus your earlier score? What is your penetration rate in the new city? How much have you penetrated your existing geography? And why are you getting into new cities without proving that your unit economics are actually showing the kind of, you know, uh, 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 um, hockey stick curve that you're promising? So yeah. I think um, the, the uh, responsible scaling is what I would talk about. Uh, it's important to have be very aggressive, as I mentioned in your first my first response to you. Um, but please don't, you know, I do not encourage entrepreneurs to burn through cash and rely on another round coming in um, uh, just to show that their business can be extremely large, um, you know, without the unit economics proving out in at least, you know, one area on subset. Um, you know, if you look at the city of Delhi, it's actually three cities. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's Noida, it's Gurgaon, and then it's central Delhi. You know, at least take one of those geographies and say, um, you know, I have uh, uh, done a good job of scaling in that particular geography. And look, my users are increasing. Look, they're looking to, I'm not discounting anymore. And people are paying up and my ARPU is increasing and my cost of acquisition is going down. All of that comes in, all those questions, you know, all those uh, data metrics have to show before investors at the board sign off and saying, listen, let's go, you know, deploy in, you know, another city. Um, so, um, which is why venture capital has been beautifully designed to be, you know, investments in stages from C to A to B to C. Um, I think somewhere people were leapfrogging, they were losing track of, you know, uh, the C round became the A round, the A round became the B round. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, um, uh, average ticket prices in India at least have gone up, you know, around two and a half to three times in the last four or five years. You know, um, that's insane. And, you know, there's what is, you know, inflation has not gone up that much. The market, um, uh, the entrepreneurs, uh, you know, cost of living and cost of talent has not gone up that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, why are we overfunding and overcapitalizing businesses? So I think the uh, if we go back to the traditional uh, VC, and there will never be a traditional standard, right? Because things are changing when we compare our round sizes to the US, we're still behind. But the point that I'm trying to make is, you know, Indian VC um, is uh, still uh, quite guilty of following the herd mentality where uh, fintech would be hot. For example, most recently, neo banking is hot, right? Mm-hmm. And now people are investing big tickets into neo banking. Seed checks of 10, 5, 10, 15 million dollars is going into uh, uh, into these neo banks to build digital platforms. Now, you know, I'm not a fan of that strategy because uh, you look at neo banking. Um, we are not like Brazil, or we are not like let's say Europe, uh, where there are a few number of banks. Uh, uh, you know, who are kind of, let's say, archaic in the way they provide services and digital solutions need to come in, disrupt that. We have some really high quality institutions, HDFC, you know, Kotak, who've done a very good job of having a, um, uh, you know, aggressive, um, um, you know, um, solution for almost every segment of the market. And they will also, they're also offering digital solutions. And costing of services is extremely competitive. A lot of things are free. So a digital bank, when they when they launch in India, 
um, they're already launching in a market which you know is in you know where the income strata are low um, and then you know they're raising big money on the fact that they have a lot of large they'll have a lot of large users um, uh, they'll be able to cross sell upsell different kinds of platforms they'll all be platforms but how many platforms can actually come up and be new banks in the country right. so sorry i'm going off on a tangent but the point that i'm trying to make is a um, lot of bets being taken on faith uh, uh, but you know i think there needs to be steps investment should be staggered uh, you know some of the big boys in the vc business should uh, kind of stagger the investments uh, or look let seed and series investors that you and i are uh, play a pivotal role in in responsible scaling and um, uh, investing at the right time but look this is one man's opinion uh, i could be proven wrong and uh, uh, maybe they're seeing something that i am not but you know this is how this is my view of the world no i'm very glad you brought up the topic of um, fintech um, and as you know you've been somebody who has made some investments in the fintech space during your time at kalari or overseen some of the investments uh, i'm going to throw you some numbers at you now uh, the, you know the total investments that came into the in, to, to the indian fintech sector stood somewhere close to 800 million in the first half of 2019 um, which is a 14% jump from 688 million that was raised in 2018 while the investments were up the number of rounds seem to have decreased and understandably you you want fresh round of funding to sustain startups for a longer period and you also can only expect a certain number of investable startups cropping up every year i read yeah, a report the which fact that companies are maturing and taking on follow on rounds right taking so, on follow on rounds exactly so i also read a report which said that the investments in 2019 stood well over uh, 1.3 billion dollars in fintech alone in 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 the region so what's attracting investors to this space is it just the broadening of what we classify as fintech the push into deeper markets in india or is it something else as such you're talking about us fintech or india fintech india fintech totally focused on india i think fintech is a broadly used term very loosely used term right, uh, right. what is fintech right if you're looking at some of my portfolio um um active.ai which is a great company giving building a conversational banking platform um um you know that makes that provides banks the ability to offer to their customers uh you know uh, chat uh, chat friendly banking on whatsapp or other or on their websites um is you know Uh, a technology that makes banking better and is is fintech in the true sense right right now versus that when i talk about you know when when you when you look at another portfolio company of ours uh, which we exited recently upstocks which provides mobile discount brokerage services or it's a mobile discount broker basically you can use an app to uh, have a to trade at very low prices basically the robin hood of india um mm-hmm. is financial services uh with a technology um, um uh, uh, with a tech, uh, uh, with a disruptive product using you know uh, apps and, and technology so the point that i'm trying to make is the businesses that are some of the businesses that are customer facing uh, b2c businesses um are actually financial services on steroids using technology they're not really fintech right right um and um uh uh companies like you know like i said signzy activeai which are saas companies providing services to banks are 
fintech in the in, in, in you know uh, by that definition so why so when you throw businesses like upstocks uh paytm for that matter uh policy bazaar which is selling policies on a website uh much like a commerce platform obviously you see these numbers being quite staggering uh because b2c businesses require a lot of capital uh, uh scale to address the large market uh, to prove out you know whatever they need to prove out to be talked about in the previous questions um whereas the b2b businesses are more capital efficient um and i think you know their age is also coming uh, where a business like corpus uh, which has been around for a long time that provides back end software to banks to you know evaluate and um uh, uh, distribute credit um Uh, which is a software business uh, which i think you know is north of 10 million dollars of arr now has raised 50 million dollars from warburg pinkus a private equity firm because people are realizing that you know some of these banking sa- uh, software uh, companies are going to scale but they've been around for a long time for for them to prove that this is going to happen so the point that i'm trying to make is akash that uh, the numbers are going up because of b2c businesses i don't think saas companies are moving the needle that much interesting um, and b2c fintech financial services which i want to you know uh, is what is what i want to say um i think there's a big question mark um you know i'm going to go out on a limb and say this that you know upstocks is a great business because it has great unit economics uh, it totally disrupts an industry it is growing phenomenally um, uh, and you know the arpus are great north of 100 dollars per user um but i have real question marks on the ptm business model right um if you look at you know the numbers that you gave me statistics how much of that was paytm in their you know most recent rounds skewing skewing the numbers that would you know that would tell you that fintech is really hot but where is the capital going into merchant and consumer acquisition and spreading a lot of let's say qr codes across the country mm-hmm. then you know, move, moving from uh, from um uh, a digital wallet solution to a upi solution uh, to offering brokerage services now uh it's like you know they're building a you know a platform where they want to do everything under the sun but it's very difficult for large companies to do that leave alone paytm which is a young company in you know in relative terms um so to execute each one of those products and verticals and to be to raise that kind of money to be able to to execute that is a very far fetched difficult strategy and um you know uh, the jury is still out but i find you know i find the proposition difficult where unit economics not proven most businesses that they're into are not you know the uh, uh uh the top line is not moving um uh, as much as they you know as much as the uh, the user acquisition is um uh, and uh, we'll see what happens so maybe you know there will be a time when some of these um, large fundings are pulled back um and uh, and, and and then uh we'll see a different market i mean lending last year uh, first half of 2019 was so hot everybody was raising money both on consumer lending on um, sme lending and then we had a crash in the second half of 2019 i'm sure that's had a negative impact um uh because people have realized is, that you can't understand the herd mentality that vcs are guilty of or is it is it really some indicators in the market that are driving people to be putting money when 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 somebody says oh this market is hot no i mean look at the lending businesses um the npa levels are pretty high already 
before VC started, you know, taking notice of them, right? Uh, I I use this example. Bajaj FinServ is a business that's been around for you know, multiple decades. Decades, yes. Run very responsibly. It's still a consumer lending business, and uh, uh, consumer lending, uh, um, you know, uh, which uh, 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 and they are, you know, sub one percent, much less than one percent of NPAs. If you look at their total cumulative loan book, right? And a lot of lending businesses, businesses in India are talking about north of five, maybe sometimes ten percent NPAs, and saying, "Oh, you know, that that is what you have to pay, or that is what you have to um, live with if you want to get into this strata of the market." Right now, that's adverse selection in my mind. You are falling into the trap of going to users who are never going to repay you or don't have good credit history, but you're trying to show scale. Um, uh, and saying that you know you have to live with those NPA numbers, right? You, you know, Bajaj FinServ has shown phenomenal growth with good NPAs. So maybe again, responsible scaling comes back to you know comes back to this point. So uh, I think again, I don't want to go off on you know a uh, uh, some you know uh, uh, this tangent. My point is the promise of fintech is here, both on B two B and B two C. I think there will be, but monetization for large fintech companies, not just Paytm, many smaller companies that have taken B and C funding. So the numbers are not there beyond GTV. And I think maybe we need to take a step back and see that um, uh, maybe there's a different way of backing businesses. Maybe we need to focus on truly disruptive technology before we say, you know, the business is uh, uh, ready to be funded um, and uh, be a me too business. Um, and, and, and the fact that um, you know, high competition sometimes makes business models very, very difficult, and we need to factor that before we make investments in those companies, right? Right. So that's my view on fintech. Uh, again, I promise, uh, but question mark on the models that are being backed. Some of the models that are being backed. This is great insight and perspective, and I've spent the last um, couple of months talking to a lot of people with respect to responsible scaling, responsible investing, and sustainability in venture capital. And this has provided a fresh insight from a fintech perspective. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that. Now, yeah, but you, I want to caveat this by saying up stocks, um, uh, not biased because it's still it's not our portfolio company now, but uh, Perfios, uh, mm-hmm. even Policy Bazaar, uh, some of the new insure tech companies, um, you know, some of them are building brilliant business models with really asset light, cost-efficient, capital-efficient products uh, or, and business models. So this is not a knock on them. I'm just saying some of the larger tickets, uh, uh, you know, uh, may be misdirected. So what does that really come down to? You've been a very successful um, CEO yourself. What is driving, um, you know, great successful B2B or B2C companies uh, with respect to the CEOs itself, what are some of those um, great qualities or trends or characteristics that are emerging between some of the most successful po- uh, companies on your portfolio, as well as the others that you might have probably bumped into? Look, I think I'll be honest. Uh, maybe somebody else is better positioned to answer that, uh, or I'll give you my view, but you should check with others because I've been a VC for a year and a half. I've built my own business much longer than that. Uh, and I worked at the later stage investments in the US. But, you know, we think about this at Kalari, uh, you know, uh, often, uh, you know, what were the common qualities? And uh, this, this is not an official Kalari response, but my view is that uh, 
uh, personal view is that um, you know some of the common um, uh, characteristics of successful CEOs. Um, number one on list is passion and conviction that they are going to do something. They are not looking back. They want to achieve something that has a big impact in that particular sector that is that they're passionate about, right? Because that is the fuel that drives year on year uh, um, uh, the founders to build businesses, right? So passion, conviction. Second, obviously, would be because of passion, conviction, they have taken the pains to develop insights into the industry that they want to disrupt. Um, third is a very well-balanced team, right? Uh, uh, single founders, as I, you know, as I have personally learned the hard way, uh, it's very difficult to scale businesses. You know, I got lucky because I had some talented people to work with me along the way. Then I had to turn towards, you know, professionalizing my team. But it's not easy. I think it's much better to invest in a founding team of two to four people um, that are all going to take on respective responsibilities, uh, which we don't need to get into. But um, you know, uh, contribute equally or you know quite consistently and build an organization right and um, so a well-balanced founding team uh, especially and then most importantly we are tech investors right so a tech edge in terms of you don't have to be a deep tech business but you still even if you are a consumer b2c business you need to using tech as a way to distribute your back end has to be strong um uh, you know your um uh, analytics have to be strong, uh, your, uh, so you can use data to get better and better to provide you know better services. Uh, Swiggy is a great example of that of why they're winning. Uh, you know, uh, you know they are a simple app, but there's so much technology that's going on the back end to make them successful versus their peers. Um, and uh, so I think technology, uh, know-how, and and product are extremely important. Um, and then, you know, this is a soft point, but the ability to raise capital, right? So if you do mm. not have that personality, passion, or you can't translate that to investors, you're not going to raise the big money and you're not going to be able to, you may, you may actually be behind uh, some of our peers who, uh, you know, who can, who can do that better. And, and finally, you know, I think founders are very smart about picking spaces that they know are kind of going to grow with voracious speeds, right? Uh, the, right. the good founders. Um, uh, I'll be honest, I picked, I'm not a good founder from the point of view that I picked an agri-tech sector which was scaling much slower than um, some of the urban consumer business models. And, um, you know, I think uh, the, um, the point that I'm trying to make is that you know, again, I learned that the hard way and I was able to build value in a tough sector with some breathing room because not a lot of entrepreneurs are focusing on this space. But, you know, um, the best entrepreneurs pick really hot sectors um, and, and that kind of, you know, gives them the momentum to build large companies, right? But I love your retrospective insights. And now I know in the interest of time, I had a couple more questions here on my list, but I'm going to run through them in the format of a rapid fire, if uh, if that works for you. Sure. Um, so Western pop culture has glorified, you know, venture capital for decades now, but I'm curious to know what's the downside of being in venture capital? Downside of being in venture capital is not building your own business. Ah, I, I somehow knew that, it, that you would say that from an entrepreneur perspective. So right. 
from yeah. that's what, you know you're it's a very patient game right you're waiting for the people you're backing to prove results and you need to show and demonstrate that patience uh, and all the as we say all the rewards are back ended because you're probably not making as much money as you would in other finance professions um in the first few years you need your carry to pay off so like, those are some of the downsides but again for me it's possibly really worth it perfect and what's one advice you would have for founders that are raising money okay <laughs> what i told you in the beginning think big be real um and please you know try to scale responsibly great and what's one thing you would like to change about venture capital in india momentum investing awesome and lastly you know at kalari you have you have a fantastic portfolio of startups really spanning both the b2b and b2c space apart from the so called sexy brands as you previously mentioned purefit and dream 11 one of my personal favorites is wakil search which is one of india's largest legal tech and compliance uh, companies and it's a prime example of technology can transform industries and ease to do businesses i am keen to hear what companies in the portfolio you are personally most excited about uh so wakil search great business hats off to the uh, to the founder who has persisted and now come up with a stronger and stronger product that is giving him data um uh, uh or uh, you know eventually you know we'll have a product that will be second to none um uh, in terms of digital adoption and scaling um so you know a lot of promise um but for to answer your question and not take your pick i mean since this is a since you are a gaming investor i will talk about one of my portfolio companies which is square off um mm-hmm. look this business fits all checks all those boxes that i talked to you about about great founders you know great team um guys coming out of college you had a college project of building an automated ai driven chess board and that became a reality when they came out took funding from us and then sold 2 million 2 2.3 million dollars worth of chess boards last year on amazon right at a 400 dollar price point um a very high price point but dads and coaches and kids loved buying the chess board where the your opponent would not be there physically but you know would be interacting with you by sort of using an app remotely and you, the 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 chess pawns would be moving in front of you right um right. really educational interactive great hardware product now uh, it doesn't stop there why i like this business is these guys are so passionate they've come up with a 150 dollar product used a kickstarter campaign in india raised 625000 which is i think the largest kickstarter campaign in in india um and now they want to you know uh, scale this pro- product in other geographies where a 400 dollar price point may not work they also the product is now they going beyond, beyond chess and adding other board games they want to get recurring revenue by providing people software and classes um uh, uh you know um so you know um uh, people can sign up and not only use the board but also learn how to become better and better at chess uh, there's a gaming angle to this right where rmg real money gaming is a reality and chess is one of those so they mm-hmm. may do a partnership uh and they may, uh, and and you know offer um uh, you know real money gaming solution in the future so endless possibilities and all of these have become possible because these guys have the tenacity they have the passion to be in this space not be scared of people saying hey this is a low uh, total addressable market how many people play chess well guess what you know i think over 50% of the world's population knows how to make play chess and 
they you know a certain percentage of the population wants this solution so and it's also uh, age agnostic which is great age agnostic a uh, really uh, sticky product um, you get better and better as you want to play more you want to invest more into it so uh, again these guys are, are contrarian in the way they build the business they're proving many people wrong and i have really high hopes for them that's wonderful i'm looking forward to hearing and learning more about these guys uh, they were at ces this year as well so clearly these guys are doing something right uh, well thank you so much for your time dev uh, i really appreciate it there's some great insights that you mentioned and uh, i know we've been trying to do this for a while now so i'm glad we uh, we are finally able to connect and uh, talk about all things we see and some of the stuff on your portfolio no pleasure doing this akash i'm glad it's a good fun chat and uh, uh, you know um Uh, good luck to you as you uh, do more of this. <laughs> Thank you. Take care, man. See you. Bye. Okay. Wow, Dave's honest opinions and insights are so refreshing. I particularly enjoyed his take on sustainability within venture capital. I think conscious investing is such a hot topic right now, and I'm grateful for his personal thoughts on it. Thanks again, Dave. If you enjoyed that episode, please leave me a review and don't forget to rate and subscribe to the Desi VC. If you have any questions for our upcoming guests, please drop me an email at akash@scrum.vc. Thanks again for listening folks and make sure you tune in next week for another super guest. Until then, keep hustling.